Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. I am so excited for you to listen to the conversation I had with Dr. Portia Jackson-Preston today. This conversation was so vulnerable and authentic and really just highlights how the wellness journey is never a destination. It is a journey. It is a continual practice and hopefully you walk away with a lot of good nuggets, I did personally, about how we just get to continually practice listening to our own wisdom about what wellness is and what well-being means for ourselves and our own bodies, hearts, and minds. A little bit more about Portia. Dr. Portia Jackson is the CEO and founder of Empowered to Exhale, where she helps individuals and organizations promote well-being and sustainable performance while centering compassion and humanity. She's also an associate professor of public health at California State University, Fullerton, and her research focuses on multi-level approaches to self-care and stress as a driver of health inequality. Portia's approach to helping individuals on their wellness journey is informed by her own experiences in working with high-demand roles while also navigating her own chronic health conditions. Portia also has some amazing TED Talks that you can check out on her website. So settle into this amazing episode and let's get centered. Welcome, Portia, to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I heard you speak at the Mindfulness Global Compassion Summit back in, God, was it June? Yes, it was early June. And I remember seeing you speak and my whole body just had this visceral tingles and chills because of how much passion and love you had for the topic of well-being and mindfulness and self-care and compassion that I was like, I want Portia on the Center of the City podcast. So thank you. I know we've had a lot of back and forth, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for um, keeping up with me. It's been a busy summer, including going down with COVID. So thank you for being patient. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. Would you tell us a little bit about your journey of how you started to specialize and research around stress, around self-care, around community care? So um, my background is in public health. And when I was initially in grad school, I was really interested in preventing chronic diseases. 
And so I used to do all of my papers on those topics. And it wasn't until I went through some pretty challenging life circumstances that I started to take a step back and think about, well, what's leading to this in the first place? You know, looking beyond lifestyle practices and behaviors. And I really thought about stress and how stress was, you know, sort of this, this silent thing people weren't talking about, myself included. Because when I was in grad school, somebody tried to say, hey, you know, your stress impacts your health. And I just really, I blew them off. I was like, whatever, I don't have time to believe that. I mean, come on, we live in stress, right? I'm fine. And what ended up happening is I got really sick um, after I left grad school. I mean, like by the time I crossed the stage with my diploma, I was getting a biopsy um, for what turned out to be kidney disease. So um, I kind of crashed headfirst into this reality where I went, you can keep gaslighting yourself or you can start to think about um, what you know is happening in your body. And I just couldn't ignore it because I, I sort of, like I said, when I finished my degree, I was getting the tests. We were starting to think something was a little off. A couple months later, I get the diagnosis and about a month or two after getting diagnosed with kidney disease, I have a blood clot. So I am forced to reconcile. How are you gonna be this management consultant flying all over the place? and you can barely walk through an airport. You can barely walk to your car. And I just was um, brought to my knees, I guess you would say, by multiple periods of disability leave where I really could not work. And that was the one thing that I prided myself by in this world. Um, and I just knew there was no way forward for me without reconciling, um, prioritizing wellness. And so a career change later, I ended up in academia. And I started to just really drift strongly in this direction to say, okay, I think I really need to look at uh, wellness from a positive lens. I don't want to go out there and shame people. I want to really encourage them. And my own path had gone through mindful self-compassion, just really, and I'm still on this path. It's such a long path of really trying to care deeply for myself. But the more I did it, the more passionate I became about sharing it with other people. Yeah, nothing like experiencing your own health experiences, you know, speaking from personal experience to really ground you in awakening. And you just said something really beautiful of we live in stress. And I see that around our culture, we think like, well, this is the norm. We live in stress, just kind of like suck it up and embrace it. And until we get brought to our knees by some by something right outside of us typically we don't wake up and so how can we like this is something i've constantly been exploring like how do we get to reach people before they get brought to their knees by something the global pandemic really was awakening for a lot of people but still you know i think there's also we're just entering a new chapter of kind of like oh we've survived that like back to normal yeah um i would take the pressure off of you completely be the example Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. I still mm -hmm. have this natural urge in me to want to control and help people around me do better. And I'm going to be recovering from that for the rest of my life. So, you know, I'm not saying that yes. it's easy, but it, we both know it isn't effective. You know, oh, I really think you should do this mm -hmm. and I think you should do that. And I mean, sometimes I laugh because I think about my own struggles. And if somebody came and lectured me right now, I'd probably go, leave me alone. <laughs> Don't you think I have enough to going on? Don't you think I've thought of this? So I, I think I would say that. Um, the best people can do is see an example. I got contacted by someone recently who had um, watched my TED talk. And this is the first time I've had somebody who also had a blood clot reach out to me. And they 
told me that um, this motivated them to want to take care of themselves, seeing my story. So I would have never met this person in everyday life, but by getting out there and talking about what my journey was like and trying to prioritize my wellness after that, years later, this person comes along and they're encouraged by the story. So the most powerful thing you can do is live out what you believe to be important and allow other people to see that. But most importantly, let them see your ups and downs. Um, you probably would have gotten to this topic, but I feel like very compelled to say that one of the biggest issues with the wellness industry is that people who are leaders within it tend to look like they have these untouchable lives. And yes. the more that I am pulled to my own knees by my own challenges, the more I find people are actually refreshed that you don't have it all together. So maybe pepper in some reality there and, you know, just kind of share it in the context of this is something I'm really excited about that's working for me without any agenda or motive, help people um, find their own path to what works for them. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful advice because and something that I really do try to practice because there also isn't one prescription of wellness and well-being. And I know this is also what you talked about in your talk, that people have to understand their own self, their own journey to then be able to be empowered to describe what and prescribe what their own wellness journey gets to look like. And I full heartedly believe in that. Like at Centered in the City, it's not like here's, I'm going to give you the perfect ritual to practice and you're going to do it. It's empowering you to listen to your own wisdom so you get to design it and implement it because that's what's actually sustainable and impactful. And we get to learn that wellness isn't this like world of false positivity. Like right before we were hitting record, we were both saying how we ha didn't have great sleeps last night. And I would have taken more sleep over what I had. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how like we get to show up with that and like even just be authentic in how that's impacting us. One of the things that I, I love that you shared in your talk was being able to be so compassionate with yourself on your journey. Like, will you talk to us a little bit more? Because it's like you've obviously done a lot of research and a lot of self-work. And of course, we're all on our journeys still. But how you get to meet yourself moment to moment with self-compassion as a huge pillar of your wellness practice. Yeah, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. I would say that it's something I have to remind myself that I do because the shame is always lingering there. You know, we have a negativity bias. That's how we have evolved. We really try to think out what is the worst case scenario, what could go wrong. So this whole idea of being compassionate or dare I say loving towards yourself is very counterintuitive. Despite the golden rule to love others as yourself, we usually cut off that last part and we just neglect ourselves. So that was definitely my story. I, I put um, succeeding in life and helping others always before myself. And I just figured that if I did a good enough job, it would take care of itself. Um, but honestly, this is going to be an unconventional answer, falling in love. When I experienced my husband's love for me, I said, oh, I want to know me like that. I want to love me like that. And it just kind of gave me an idea of what was possible that I wasn't seeing. And so I had been taking different um, meditation courses for years, and I decided to do this week-long deep dive into mindful self-compassion. 
And so I was up in, um, I think it was Dumas Bay, Washington with a bunch of people I'd never met before. And I think I wasn't supposed to be using technology. <laughs> so I had a lot of time to just walk along the water and think about myself. And, you know, that's a privilege that up until that point in my life, I hadn't experienced before. Let me just take this week away to work on myself. And it was a huge gift to myself, but with the intention that if I don't learn how to love me, I can't keep loving other people. I'm gonna have to go out of this hope business <laughs> because I'm not really, you know, buying it for myself. And so what that week did was it just showed me a glimpse of what was possible and what me, myself, and I could work on together when we came back home. And that's what we've been doing for the past several years. And it, it definitely has its ups and downs, but um, I would say that there's two choices. You can either rest in self-compassion or rest in shame, but it's probably gonna be one of the two. So when people think that, you know, it feels awkward, I would just have to encourage them and say, yeah, but it kind of beats the alternative. <laughs> and, you know, you really have to think about the language and the practices that work for you. You don't have to do it like anyone else. Mm -hmm. I just, I have, to, I don't know if you can see, but I have tears in my eyes of, of you sharing because literally before I came to jump on Zoom for us to hit this podcast recording, I went to my husband and had him just, I was like, I need a hug. And I just rested in his heart and on his chest and felt that love that you were just talking about. And I was like, oh, this feels so good. I'm so grateful for this love. And it made me think about all of the people out there in the world who don't necessarily have a partner that maybe gives them that type of love or helps them feel that connection or who are single or, you know, who are trying to find that love because that love is really fucking special and important. And I said to myself, this is also why we, your work is so important because you have to continually remember to give yourself this feeling. You can't rely on others to fill that cup as well. Yes, you know, connection is huge, important, but like that love I get to give myself as well. Anyway, so I just had this like huge visceral <laughs> reaction with you sharing that. So I love that you frame that of like, okay, right, we can continue to practice self-compassion or we can choose the, the shame game. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that's just my experience. I, I tend to live in one or the other, maybe other people are different, but I feel like for all of us at the end of the day, we're created for love. And if we are fortunate, we find ways to give and receive that love in life. So no matter who's listening and, you know, if they're not in a relationship that is fulfilling, I just want them to know that they're still worthy of that love. And the funny thing is, if you don't give that love to yourself, it's very hard to feel the love around you. So actually loving yourself and not in a superficial way, but in a really deep way, actually, um, I think it turns up the receptors of love throughout life. I think that when you love yourself, you begin to experience the world differently and you put out different energy. So this really is for everyone um, to think mm -hmm. about the biggest love that we control is giving that love to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. we can hold it, what burden have we put on someone else? <laughs> Totally. And just to even be able to like emulate love in this world, we need more of that versus all the hate and divide and reactivity. And it really does start with ourselves. And I'm curious, I would say my journey with self-love and self-kindness came when I was going through chemo and battling cancer. And I realized, Wade, you can be a part of your healing journey or you can be against 
your healing journey. Like you can let the chemo do its magic, but like you also can be contributing here. And I really sat with myself in my meditation practice and sent my cells loving kindness and allowed that to emulate from the inside out. And so that I could give that to others when in connection. And I'm curious for you, were you able to connect to any of that essence even while you were going through some of your health challenges? Definitely. The first one that comes to mind is um, when I went through a hysterectomy in 2019. Um, I had to do a lot of work on myself because I didn't have a lot of friends who'd had that experience. And I just kind of had to shift. What does it mean to me to be a woman? And I had to promise myself that I was going to be there for myself before, during, and after. Um, I actually had a little issue with um, recovering. So I was in the hospital for four days by myself and I had a lot of time and it's not a fun place to be if you aren't, you know, in a space of loving yourself. And then I came back and I was on the couch for six weeks. So, and all of that time, you know, if you learn how to love yourself, you now have a best friend for your entire life journey. And it's never too late to start that journey if you're still alive, you know? So I think for you, it's really powerful to hear you say that because you were on a wellness journey in the midst of cancer. And people tend to think of wellness as something they privilege for people who are well inward and outward, right? So I think it's really powerful for, um, in my work, to take back this agency and say, no, everyone has their own definition and expression of wellness. And for you, you were really, um, practicing deep self-love by saying, I'm going to put all of the healing energy that I can into myself. I will not stand against myself. And I think that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. And thank you for sharing your journey of not neglecting yourself, not forgetting about yourself through your hysterectomy. Cause I think that's, that's huge. And to be committed to like, great, what am I going to define as woman, how am I going to still love myself through this and, and not let cultural isms kind of pull me and down? That was really it. It was really the culture more so than myself, making sure I didn't absorb all that gunk. And the, the really wonderful thing is I actually feel more feminine on the other side of it because mm -hmm. I feel more consistently myself and at ease. And that is a beautiful place to be. <laughs> yeah. How, like, will you tell us a little bit of your journey of connecting to that feminine energy? Um, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about defining um, gender by one's anatomy. And we're talking about one piece of that anatomy. And we're saying, oh, if you don't have that anatomy, you know, and same thing, if you're not able to reproduce, then you are not fully a woman. And, you know, it's really hard as someone who doesn't have children every once in a while, you hear somebody go, oh, you do not know love. And I'm like, okay, cool. Cause it's just easier than fighting back at this point. I go, okay, <laughs> because I understand for that person that is their experience and I've just learned to stop resisting it. So for me, what does it actually mean to be a woman? It's honestly the maternal, um, the nurturing, all of these positive energies. And um, I have a strong personality. So I think I do have the feminine and the masculine. So it's not this binary for me, but there's definitely just this beautiful way that I show up in the world and lavish love. And to me, that is the essence of my femininity. And so it means that I have rose gold, rose gold colored everything over here. I, I don't know what happened. One day came pink came into my life and exploded. So, you know, that's very cool, but it's something that I resisted for so long because I was trying to be this like, I thought I had to be stronger, you know? 
and and now I know that the true secret of strength is vulnerability. So when I made room for a femininity that was defined by who I am and not what I don't have, it was in my own hands. So ever since then, femininity has really been for me to define. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's interesting. You're talking about even just like pink, right? This color, like allowing it to come in and embrace it. And there's this practice that one of my mentors always talks about, Krista Petty Raymer, around practicing girl's charm. And when I'd be in workshops with her and she'd have us practice it, I was like, what is like, this is annoying. This is like valley, you know? And then one day it's just kind of clicked of like, oh, this can be playful. Oh, this can be light. Like I was able to embrace it and it softened me in a really beautiful and empowering way, not in a weak or like wimpy way, but in a like playful, joyful, loving way. Yeah. And, and, you know, for someone else, if like, I learned about goth pink last year. I bought something for someone and they were like, oh, it's the perfect pink. It's the only one I like because it's goth pink. And I was like, oh, well, I'm happy that I found that for you because for them, pink was not it, right? So it was like, it can be black, it can be goth pink and that's it. So the point is to find what do you gravitate towards that makes you feel good? You know, most experiences in life, we're just trying to experience pleasure. And so it's really not about, you know, um, a specific set of characteristics defining who you are. It's you allowing yourself to unfold and play with the world and figure out what brings you joy and allowing those things to come into your life. Mentioned something earlier, which I know a lot of my clients and listeners can relate to of how we attach our sense of self to success. I'm curious how can playing with pleasure help us kind of unwind from that dogma that is so out there in our culture? Well, I think the first thing I always start off by letting people know that I still wrestle with these things. So it's not this, hey, this is how I fixed it. And now I'm all great. You know, I'm still very much um, in uh, professions where being driven is a part of the game. So I am using pleasure to fight for like my own life and identity outside of these spaces. And one way that really that comes up for me is being able to express myself through music, express myself through dance, express myself through fashion. And, you know, these are things that you almost can see people wielded against you and say, oh, that's not professional. That's not for you. And I'm like, I've worked way too hard to be here to not be myself. Yeah. Line. And so pleasure is that reminder of like, what does it actually mean to be myself, not to be these roles that I fit into in society? Oh my God. There's just like such deep permission there. Like, what does it mean to be yourself by connecting to like, what is pleasurable? I love, I love that. And all you have to do to see what that is, is um, watch kids at a playground for a few minutes because they are so immersed in pleasure and that, you know, is conditioned out of us. So we really have to try. And that's why you see a lot of people find themselves liberated by, you know, exploring sensual dance or, um, you know, all kinds of different hobbies because everybody's just trying to recover themselves. Mm. And some people are trying to encounter pieces of themselves they never knew existed. Mm. You know, as you're sharing, what's coming alive for me is just like even the pleasure of food, like how much I connect to food because of how pleasurable it is not only from a sensual experience, but from a sensational experience. Well, and it's interesting. Think about every single form of pleasure we've talked about. 
those are all associated with shame. Mm. Shame around your body, shame around your food. And I've internalized a lot of it. I'm not pointing fingers from the outside. I'm totally on the inside. Like, hey, look at the hypocrites. Because, <laughs> you know, I want to... I want to experience true liberation and at the same time i'm still caught in the web myself mm -hmm. but for every type of pleasure there is a shame mm. it's supposed to keep us in line that, mm. that's the option of the shame right it's designed to to keep us in line when you say keep us in line are you saying also like keep us in this like capitalistic grind <laughs> yeah definitely but so much more than that you know um who am I allowed to be as a black woman? What am I allowed to say? What am I allowed to feel? How can I express myself? If you create a shame for me around that, oh, you can't dress that way. You can't speak that way. You can't be this and that. Well, I've got my script now. And if I follow that script, maybe I'll make it in society. Mm. But if I don't, boy, you get to judge me as I fall down. Mm. Oh, she just played the game. Mm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how much work it takes to, and bravery and courage it takes to untangle from that. Yeah. But, you know, I think you realize one day that you're not content to be there if you can't be yourself. Mm. And I, I, I literally told my share that one day. I said, I can be myself or I cannot be here. And bless her heart. She's the kind of person I can say that to. Um, I'm really, really, really fortunate. Um, a long time ago, I set intentions about the type of work environment I wanted to be in and the kind of relationships I wanted to have. And I have that. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that because there's a privilege that comes with the way that I'm speaking right now. Mm -hmm. If I say go into these places and be who you are authentically are, it's in the context of I just earned tenure. So <laughs> I feel like Amazing. Yeah. Snaps to that. Amazing. We're spin just a little bit. And, you know, I've, I've always tried to really show up as who I am, but now I feel like the stakes are that much higher because there's that many fewer people, mm. you know, that resemble my identity. And so when people see me being who I truly am, then it frees them. Mm. But I, I think it's really um, reckless to give this type of information and advice out to people, not knowing what their situation is. And I've definitely had a lot of times and still will where I feel like I have to kind of, you know, rein it in. So one thing I've told my students is um, it's sort of like a radio station. There's all these aspects of yourself, but you walk into the room and you're like, okay, which radio station are we playing right now? Is it the classical hour or, you know, is it the like <laughs> after 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> um, there's these different personas that you kind of weave in and out of, but you don't want to lose sight of who you truly are. And you need to keep that for yourself if it's not safe in the worlds that you move about in. So if you are in a profession um, or you're in a role or a relationship where you feel like you have to really color inside the lines, be very conscientious about giving yourself a space where you can spill out and be fully yourself. Mm. I think right there, it's like even for people to be able to discern when are they themselves, right? When does it feel authentic to be self and when are they caught up in, yeah. in the roles of who they quote unquote should be? I'm so glad you said that because um, that's actually why I got off of Instagram this summer. Um, I didn't delete my profile. I just disappeared far less dramatic, but I felt like I couldn't hear myself anymore. I felt like I was becoming um, a reflector of what other people were saying. And I, I lost my creativity. So I would say pleasure is the roadmap back. And I needed to take time. Not that I was just sitting around like having fun all day. <laughs> I was doing a lot of things, but I wasn't feeling like I was getting anything that nourished me. 
mm-hmm. out of that time and I needed to find more nourishing things. And after I could reconnect with myself, then I could share who that person was with the world. But sometimes you have to protect that. And how for you, could you tune in to notice like what does even pleasure or nourishing feel like? You know, how do you discern that for yourself? Yeah, slowing down, um, depriving one or more of the senses. So if you, um, for example, we went to this um, speakeasy this summer and they took your phones the moment you got in there and they locked them up so you couldn't use them. And without our phones, our sixth sense, We all just kind of sat there and took in the visual stimuli and the music and the taste of the drinks so much more. And so mm-hmm. I've really been playing around with this idea of like, if I close my eyes, how do I experience this? So mm-hmm. quieting your world, whatever that means for you. So it might be going away for a retreat. It might mean closing the bathroom door behind you for 10 minutes while your kid is napping <laughs> and playing a, a song that makes you feel something. Um, my friends introduced me to beautiful chorus this summer. They were like, that's you go listen to it. (laughs) I literally was playing them last night. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, playing something like that and just like really getting in touch with yourself and giving yourself permission to feel and, and to like, and to think, you know, I had this conversation with one of my students and my heart really went out to them because I asked them what their favorite things were. We were trying to help them through a stressful time. And they said, honestly, I don't even have them anymore. All I do is study. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought, man, we are doing something wrong here because yeah. this should be the time that these students are coming alive, not when they're repressing themselves, so they can be successful. Mm-hmm. So repressing ourselves from the pleasure is something that we did to make it. And it's really important to not shame ourselves about that. Pleasure gets a bad rap because people think, oh, that's something that's optional and it's negative and I really should be focused. But I think there are times where I am just like, I can't read another paper. I can't write another word. And until I get some rest and I bring some pleasure back into my life, I'm just not motivated to do anything. So the curiosity, the creativity, all of that, actually is a necessary fuel and recharge that we need to be able to move forward. So if you're really stuck on a problem, sometimes taking a shower or going for a walk kind of helps you see it from a different perspective. Um, For me, I have had these dreams recently whenever I'm able to sleep and I just feel like my brain is trying to put the dots together of what's Mm. going on. It needs that time. Yeah. And there's so many ways that people can listen to themselves like it's not something outside of them that they need to get it's right here and what you were saying earlier of like slowing down figuring out a way that works for you to listen and notice that i'm not even telling people to actively listen to themselves because i I think it's the trying and the doing that gets so hard Mm -hmm. i'm saying just try to connect with yourself just try to be around yourself so many of us are terrified to be alone yeah i came back from um 10 days where I was um, in another nearby town. I I had some people out there, but I was pretty much by myself most of the time. And, you know, a couple years into taking regular retreats, I can really enjoy that. But I can relate when people say, oh no, if I'm alone by myself, I'm gonna have all these crazy thoughts. I still do. I almost don't want to say, go listen to yourself because I know that's gonna scare a lot of people away. I want them to warm up to the idea of spending time with themselves. For a Mm. lot of people going out to a meal by themselves or going to a movie is challenging. Okay, can you go buy yourself a cupcake, Mm -hmm. an apple, (laughs) 
you know, we'll start small, but as you start to become more comfortable with yourself and you allow life to turn itself down, you will get more of an in-depth perspective on what's going on in your life. And over time, your body will feel like it is safe enough to tell you what it actually needs. Mm, I so love it's it. taking the, the slow steps to build that trust and safety with yourself. I love how you just framed that. Yes. It, it's interesting because on my month long meditation retreat, you know, I had a lot of time to practice being alone. Oh God, managing boredom, how painful and unpleasant that was. Like I had a lot of time. And then here I was yesterday, Sunday afternoon, my husband was playing golf and I was like, I'm going to take myself out on a little date and like went and got a fun cup of coffee and walked around and noticed oh, this is kind of uncomfortable and this is different. And I was like, wait, you just did this for a month. You can do this for a few hours. You know, like it is continually a practice to learn how to be alone and to enjoy, not that you have to enjoy every moment of it, but just to learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortableness of being alone because we aren't very conditioned in our world. And I think it's important to know, you know, one of the reasons I was really excited to jump on this podcast with you was because you're definitely the first person I've ever spoken to who's done a, a month long retreat. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. I don't know. That's, that's a bit much for me, but I see the value in it. And I was just going to say that when you started your 30 days, it took you a few days to ease into it, right? Oh yeah. So the moment- Multiple, you <laughs> like we- <weeks. Right. laughs> Right. So it took you weeks to ease into it. Then every time you come out of a retreat and you shift back into society, there's like that. It's like a plane landing, right? You're like, no, take me back to the sky. Yes. <laughs> but we can't live there forever. We have to actually come down and live our lives. So, you know, give yourself the credit that you made that shift back into your everyday life. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of um, easing yourself back into it. But the first thing isn't to pressure yourself into, I'm here to listen to myself. I'm here to like have this amazing experience. Just tell yourself, I'm here to let you know that we are safe here mm -hmm. together. And if you start there, you can just be sitting in the corner. Mm -hmm. you know, a, a lot of people who are listening may think, oh, I don't have time to get away. So how would I actually do this? Before I knew to do retreats, do you know what I did? What? I walked around Target mm -hmm. and the container store. Because these are two places where things are organized and my life does not always feel organized. Mm. So just walking around, you know, it would bring calm to me. And I didn't mm. know it, but um, I feel like I'm someone who is like highly sensitive to sensory stimulation, mm -hmm. so noises and things like that. And there was something in that environment that I was drawn to long before I had the language for that. Mm. And so I'll talk to people and I'll say, well, if you only have a few hours, what can you do for yourself? And if they feel like going to get their nails done, you know, hey, that's not in the budget right now, or that's not really me, it's okay. You can just explore until you find something that is. But the first thing is to just build that safety with yourself. Mm -hmm. It is safe for me to be sitting here in the car right now. I do not have to pick up the phone. You know, a lot of times it's like our pacifier and it's made to be that way. It's not us not being strong enough years and millions of dollars of research went into making this irresistible mm -hmm. and now we are all told to carry them and somehow do our jobs mm -hmm. so you know we feel this shame and we're not able to pull ourselves away from it but meet yourself at every single point we're discussing right now with compassion yeah. hey I, I noticed that this is really hard for me and that's okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I I love that reframe of that strong, you know, that you don't have to kind of shame yourself that you don't have enough. Because I hear a lot of times with clients or Central City community, like, oh, I don't have enough, you know, willpower to be able to do it. And it's not nope. that. It's nope. just that idea of being able to untangle from that story that it has to be willpower, it has to be strong. And it says like, how can we, instead, I like to come at it from this place of practicing loving yourself, which of course can be a whole other challenge, yeah. but just giving yourself attention, your own attention and time yeah. is this radical act of, of love. And, and, you know, to do it your own way. Um, it took me about a decade to get a good solid meditation practice. I'm not exaggerating. It might've been more than a decade, mm -hmm. but first started out, I bought this book called Meditation Made Easy. And I started meditating. I lived across the street from the 405 freeway in LA. How was I supposed to meditate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the first things that I learned, you know, they kind of said, you know, just accept that the noise is in the background. And and that's life. Accept that the noise is in the background. Don't listen mm -hmm. to this thinking, oh, now that I have this secret, everything's going to be fine because you're going to feel terrible in 15 minutes. It's accepting that the noise is in the background and how can we as much as possible come up for joy? You know, mm -hmm. so many of my days, I, I try to, I, I would say about a year or two ago, it started with, um, I need to have some intentions to get me through this tough time. So I started off by saying I wanted to cultivate beauty and joy. And now it's really about how can I keep things more simple? How can I protect my peace? Mm -hmm. And when the world is really trash, hmm, how can I be good in the world? I know there's still good out there. Mm -hmm. And if I do some, maybe there'll be some, maybe I'll see some. Mm -hmm. And that keeps me going when everything around my is not, mm -hmm. <laughs> not mm -hmm. great. I go, oh, wait, that's right. I'm not actually created to like absorb all of this. So let me step aside a little bit, maybe not be the most informed person in the room, which was hard for me. Let me take some of that space that was obsessed with knowing it all and replace it with, it is okay for you to just be and to enjoy. This is the balance. This is what's going to allow you to balance back and forth when life is rocky. So it's really pleasure is another tool in the arsenal to get through life. I love that. Oh, so much wisdom you shared and thank you for your transparency and vulnerability and authenticity. Portia, where can people learn more about you and all of the amazing work that you're doing in the world? So our website is empowered. So that's empowered with an ED at the end, empowered to exhale.com. And if people go there, we have um, a several TED talks that I've done in the past on self-care and resilience, as well as a discussion guide for both of them. So if they wanna start a conversation with um, people in their community, that's really designed for that to help them kind of talk through some of the points we discussed today for themselves. Um, we also have a wellness journey guide that is available for free download and that will help people take next steps to really explore what does wellness look like for me in my life and how can i um, help myself to take little tiny steps forward rather than you know stepping out of the pressure that we put on ourselves so mm, beautiful well thank you again for being here thank you so much for your time that was wonderful thanks so much for listening to the center of the city podcast if you enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. This helps to get this episode and other episodes like this in other people's hearts and minds and ears, of course. And take a moment to share this episode directly with a few friends in your community. 
know that you get to inspire others by what you're learning and what you're practicing. Until next time, stay centered.